0: So let's everybody stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> I'm going to be reading from Ezekiel 3. Ezekiel 3, and this is really weird because uh, you could ask, me, well, I wasn't talking like this about a half hour ago, so it's like, well, let me just tell you this. Do you believe this, Pastor? We're in spiritual warfare. And I tell you, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. So y'all, y'all pray for me right here because... Um, Man, I've been preaching for 52 years, and this is a very rare thing. All of a sudden, I get up here, and, and I feel very hoarse. Amen. And I sound even worse. Amen. But, but it does sound like the old school preachers. You know, they, they gravel voice and, you know. Speaking of Midwestern, I remember Tom Malone said, I worry about these preachers that get up and preach. But voices, they neither got from God nor their mothers, you know. So anyway... <laughs> I think he had about seven or eight surgeries on his throat before it was all over. So anyway, um, I want you to look with me, if you would, please. Verse number 17, chapter 3 of Ezekiel. And I have much more than an outline tonight. What I have is a burden. And as we read the Word of God together, I'm going to read it in such a way that I would ask you to ask God to talk to you as he's talked to me through this passage again, once again. I remember, um, although I was saved when I was very young, I backslid when I was a teenager. Somebody said, you Baptists, you believe in backsliding. I said, not only do we believe in it, but we practice it from time to time. (laughs) Very effectively. Far too effectively. We all not get too pious by comparing ourselves with people that maybe are a little bit worse off than we are. I remember hearing this in my youth. Anytime we're not as close to Jesus as we once were, consider yourself backslidden. If you can look at a time when your prayer life was more effective, when your witnessing was more knee-jerk response, automatic, when your holiness was affecting your entertainment, you know what I'm saying? If you have now allowed yourself to be entertained by things that at one time you would not be entertained by. Yes. You allow yourself to use words that at one time you would not use. Amen. I don't know about you, but words are important, right? Amen. Around our house, we could not use the Lord, our God's name in vain. Uh, that means if we were in our house, you could not say G-E-E. Because if you got close to it, Mama would say, what are you trying to say, Jesus? Jesus? Trying to say Jesus? We couldn't even say G-O-S-H. What are you trying to say? God? Thou shalt not use the Lord thy God's name in vain. That's right. But anyway, just little things like that. So, and when we're backslidden, we've cut off the power of the Lord in our lives. You know, there are two ways the Bible talks of offending the Holy Spirit. One is grieving the Spirit. Another is quenching the Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was baptized, is likened to a heavenly dove? And for those of you that are hunters, you know well and good, it doesn't take much to spook a dove. It doesn't take much to put a dove into flight. They can hear the least little rustling of the leaves, and they go, by the same token, the least little rustling of sin. Even the leaning toward having a propensity into or a tendency toward can grieve the Holy Spirit, quench the Holy Spirit, and then we're not effective. I'm chasing a little rabbit here before I read this thing, but as I've been in a lot of churches and I've seen a lot of worldliness slip in, and I've seen a lot of these praise and worship teams with a bunch of young ladies Let me rephrase that. Young women getting up here in yogi and skinny jeans, dressed inappropriately, look like they're just poured into these clothes. Sometimes they got their navel showing, they got the tamarines moving and grooving, and they worked everybody up into a frenzy, and everybody's standing up doing this number right here. Let me tell you something, friend. There's a difference between an emotional response and a Holy Ghost response. And there's a lot of backsliders that think because they felt warm and fuzzy during the praise and worship time that that was Jesus. You don't even realize that you've grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit by your immodesty. Women adorn yourselves in modest apparel with shame innocent sobriety. What is wrong with us that we're allowing this kind of nudity to come into the church? What is wrong with us when we allow rock and roll to just shake us loose? from convictions that at one time we held and the spirit of the Lord talked to us about it and now we've thrown it to the wind and we think that's okay I'm coming back to God so we get into an emotional service that's totally carnal and the preacher doesn't use any of the word of God they just go through this long praise and worship for about an hour and a half and he gets up there with a little sermonette it's preached by a preacherette to a bunch of people who are dressed like majorettes, and they go outside and smoke their cigarettes, and you speed off in their Corvettes, how's that, yes. I ain't said, said that, there's nothing wrong with that Corvette, I'm going to tell you right now, but there is some, something wrong with dressing like a majorette, all right, yeah. I felt a little same Mal in there, amen, hey? hi man, all right, But I want to tell you, when boy, when I, kept, when, when I got right with the Lord on this matter, there's a lot of things that just had to go. Yes. Right. And there were a lot of things that had to just sink in deep. And the passage that I'm reading to you really hit me as a teenager when I came back to the Lord that God is so serious about this matter of eternity. Amen. Look at what it says here in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse number 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life. The same wicked man shall die. In his iniquity. But his blood. Will I require. At thine hand. Let's uh, remain standing. We'll have a word of prayer. And then please be seated. Lord as we read these words. We're burdened. That we. Might say with the apostle John. That we should not. Be ashamed before you at your coming. And rather they stir us on to say what Paul said in Acts 20. I'm pure from the blood of all men, for I've not shunned to declare that whole counsel, that gospel. O Lord, speak to our hearts. Give us that Holy Spirit power that we so desperately need to do your will in your way. We thank you for the wonderful testimonies we heard tonight and how we enjoyed the congregational singing that brought glory to God. Lord, I even enjoyed hearing the pastor give the announcements. I love Jared. I thank you that it's very obvious to me that he's operating under the anointing and fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we're thankful for his young associate that is in cahoots with him in this holy enterprise. Thank you. I thank you for the young lady and the pianist that just blessed our hearts with a very appropriate song sung beautifully for your glory's sake. Now I pray for results that will bring honor and glory to you in such a way that you will be pleased. In Jesus' name, for Christ's sake, amen. You may be seated. When I say to the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. I remember being so moved by this that um, when I was in um, a Bible college many years ago, there was a professor that heard me speak from this text, and he gave me a warning by saying that, Johnny, you know, that's in the Old Testament. And he said, you know, you need to understand that in the context of that scripture, that You might understand that God's speaking to Israel and maybe it's not applicable to us. Now I listened to what he said. But when I went back to the word of God, I came to a strong realization that even though he was my elder, and I did not rebuke him, but, but I listened, but I also listened to the Lord that reminded me that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And every bit of it is profitable. Right? For doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. What other message is the Lord telling us here? Since every bit of this book is for us, what is He telling us here? Other than what Paul was talking about when he said in Acts 20 that because he was faithful. To propagating the gospel he was pure from the blood of men and then you look at the New Testament statement of Paul and the Old Testament statement of Ezekiel and you realize that this is as applicable to the church as it was to Judah, Amen. as it was to Samaria, as it is to us today Amen. if thou dost not speak to warn The wicked man, from his wicked way, he will die. But his blood will I require at thine hand. You know, it seems, Pastor Jared, that even in my looking back into my early days of ministry, we seemed so insatiably desirous to see people saved. I remember so well uh, when I was in Bible college and Dr. John R. Rice would come by. Remember John R. Rice? Great soul winner. How his book, Power of Pentecost, was a life changer for me. Or prayer, Asking and Receiving. But I can remember getting up close. Is that what y'all used to do at Midwesterns? what we used to do. we get up close to the spout where the glory comes out. And I remember sitting close enough to hear John R. Rice preach. And when he got on souls and lost souls, I can remember him saying, the closest thing to the heart of Jesus are the lost souls of men. And that's what he had in mind When he was dying for us on Calvary. And I can remember sitting there about where y'all are in the second row. And I could see tears running into his old wrinkled cheeks. And dropping off of his chin. But they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Bringing his sheaves with him. Now I didn't get to hear Al, he's a great preacher, Al Stone preach about tears, but maybe we're kind of on the same line there. You know, the reason we cry is because we're moved. I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you this, but we have two girls and we have two sons. And um, when the girls were growing up in our household, there was something that I had to endure. And that is, Daddy... Yes, girls, we want you to watch with us. Yes, dear, what would you like us to to watch with you? We want you to watch Anne of Green Gables with us, Daddy. Now, I want to tell you something for the average man. We're not into Hallmark. (laughs) And we're not into Anne. But I love my girls, so if they wanted me to watch Anne of Green Gables, we're going to watch Anne of Green Gables. And I didn't realize there was more, more than one of those episodes. So I'm watching it with my girls. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this to you. And I got into it. Huh? And my favorite character, because I felt like I could relate to him, was Matthew. This loving man living with this incredibly domineering sister. I mean, even that made me feel for him because how far is this getting out? I don't know. Okay. Well, she's watching. She knows my sister just dominated me. Seven years my senior, and she was the chief babysitter. I mean, brother. So there were a lot of things I could relate to Matthew, and he had this great kind of father-daughter relationship. And that began to touch my heart, you know, because I had two girls. I felt like they were daddy's girls, you know. And so I'm watching this program. And Matthew dies. And I start crying. There is nothing sissy about me. But it broke my heart. And the funny thing is that my girls turned and looked at me and laughed at me. And but you know what? They all came and hugged me and they patted me. And it's gonna be all right, Dad. It's gonna be okay. That was fiction. That's made up. I'm not as embarrassed to tell you this, but when Lassie died, I cried. Come home, Lassie. Isn't it amazing what moves us the tears? I, I don't know, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised when the walls came through if some of you got a little teary-eyed. Huh? <laughs> I want to tell you, and please forgive me if, if you're not an Astro fan, but when, when, when eight, I mean, at the bottom of the 18th inning, when they came through, I, I felt emotional. Yeah. And I don't hang out with Altuve. I don't hang out with these guys. They're not in my life. But, but what happens is we get so vicarious with whether a, Dog named Lassie, or made up man named Matthew, or a ball player that hits a walk away Homer. Alvarez. God love him. I don't even know him. I'm getting emotional because my team wins. And we come to church. And the pastor says, no, we're having visitation. Oh. Or we're going to have some missionaries tonight. Mm. Hmm. When's it going to be over? Ah. So we have two missionaries giving testimony tonight. Oh, boy. And I know Brother Pope is long-winded. Oh, Oh, boy. Hope I can get home in time to see Little House in the Prairie. Man, I hope I can, I don't know if they're even doing that now. Ooh, I got to get home to watch Tucker Carlson to find out what's going on. Boy, he'll get you all riled up about something. You get vicarious. Do you know Tucker Carlson? Do you have dinner with him every now and then? Does he go to church with you? What are you going to miss if you miss Tucker Carlson? It gets you so angry, can't he? Wow. I think that what has happened is with this matter of winning the loss to Christ in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, it's not gotten vicarious with us. It's not gotten vicarious with us. We've not entered into the burden the burden hasn't soaked in on us. We're reading scriptures in our personal devotions and we're coming through Ezekiel. Do you know what most people think about when they think about Ezekiel? They hear that God is going to talk to them through scripture. And they've been ignoring the scripture. So they say, God, I hear that you will talk to me through the Bible. Bible. By the way, let me tell you this little story. Years ago, you've heard this before. This guy heard that God talks to you through the Scripture. He says, God, I'm going to close my eyes and put down my finger, and whatever you say, when I put my finger down on that Scripture, I'm going to take it very personal. He closes his eyes, opens up the Bible, puts his finger down, and it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) He closes his eyes, open up the Bible, put it down, And it said, go thou and do likewise. (laughs) Close his eyes, put his fingers down, and it said, what thou doest, do quickly. (laughs) Now there's an old hermeneutical, homiletical, biblical law of interpretation. And that is any scripture taken out of context becomes a pretext and is therefore unusable. So what happens when people think about Ezekiel that have been, that, that, that have been ignoring the word of God? They say, God, I am just I need a message from you. And you open up the Bible. And because of where Ezekiel is, more people who randomly open up the Bible open it up to Ezekiel. That's a fact. And when they put their finger down, it's a judgment against you. So you've learned to kind of, eh, but I'm going to get back to reading the Bible. I think I want to scoot past Ezekiel, maybe go over to Proverbs and maybe go over to John and... Ezekiel scares you a little bit. Boy, he's a prophet. and Maybe you've been avoiding Ezekiel. Or when you read Ezekiel in part of your daily Bible reading, you kind of read fast and you don't let it sink in. And the last thing you want is for it to become vicarious. If thou dost not speak, to warn the wicked man. From his wicked way, that wicked man shall perish, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Going back to remembering how there was this insatiable desire to win the loss to Christ, I remember even our songs were so permeated with that. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty hand go? If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked man from his wicked way, that wicked man shall perish, but his blood will I require at thine hand. So what's the message, Brother Pope? Number one, let us be a witness here and abroad because there is an eternity. Bob Jones Sr. said the greatest truth that ever changed my life was when I realized I had to live somewhere forever. Every one of us are going to spend somewhere forever. People have said to me, but what about limbo or what about purgatory? I said, what about it? It doesn't exist. There is no limbo for the little ones and there is no purgatory for the more mature ones. There is no praying somebody out of the middle zone. This is not a Dante story. The Bible speaks of only two places. Only two places. It's either heaven or it's hell. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus said there was a rich man and there was Lazarus. Lazarus died And he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? When the thief asked to be remembered, he said, verily, verily, truly, truly, it is so. I say unto you, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. One moment we who know Jesus are breathing this terrestrial air and in split second timing, we're breathing the celestial air of glory. Amen. I remember old B.R. Lakin used to say, what of these days I'm going to hang my shield on the shimmering banks of the city of God and say goodbye to this whole world. Amen. And it's so soon, it's so very soon that Jesus will come and those of us that know Jesus will be out of here in a moment, and I love this, in the twinkling right. of an eye. Amen. Now, I've heard people say, boy, that's really fast. We're out of here in a blink. That's not what it said. It didn't say that we're out of here in a blink. We're out of here in a twink. Yeah. Amen. There's a difference between a blink and a twink. Amen. Blinking is this. That doesn't take long. Twinkling is when eye, when light hits the eyes. I was hearing my granddaughter tonight talking about eyes and bright eyes. Isn't it amazing when you see somebody, especially somebody you love, and the light hits their eye just right and it twinkles a little bit. Ooh. It's beautiful, isn't it? Well, with the twinkle in the eye, you're talking about, you're talking about uh, the recording of light. So when the Bible says that we're out of here in the twinkling of an eye, that means you're moving out at the rapture at 186,000 miles per second. Is that fast enough for you? That's the twinkling of an eye. Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear. The Bible says that in that day, tears shall be wiped away heaven, think about the people that are nursing a broken heart for the rest of their life. Huh? Uh, Last, uh, this coming past uh, Sunday, uh, we were preaching and there was a family that we've known for years, the Beatty family. Their son was on a mission trip over in Africa, got malaria and you know how dangerous malaria is. The young man comes back, uh, 19 years of age, came back to Tennessee with malaria, (laughs) died. 19 year old boy let me tell you I've preached the funerals of those short caskets and listen matter of fact I'll tell you what's the truth there's not a woman in this world that's ever miscarried a baby that doesn't to this day mourn that child and I know that's so matter of fact i just kind of say this one thing that I've been told by women that have miscarried is this the one thing they don't want to hear is somebody say don't worry honey you're young enough you'll have another one the reason that young mothers don't like to hear that is because they're saying, in essence, that one didn't count. Right. Oh, no, no, that one counted. Right. Yeah. Amen. I, I talked to a woman had seven miscarriages, and she's looking forward to seeing all seven of those kids Amen. in heaven one day. Oh, yes. There's some of you that are going to go to heaven yeah. with a broken heart. But here's the good news. Heaven is the place where all of that is healed. Amen. Amen. Doesn't that kind of make you happy? Heaven is a place where there's no cancer. Is that okay with you? Amen. That's okay with me. I saw pancreatic cancer take my best friend out of this life, my daddy. I've seen what it can do. I'm, 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 I'm happy about no cancer in heaven. How about you? I'm happy that there's no heart disease in heaven. I'm so happy. I was talking to our, our great friend, David Corn, and he said to tell you hi. And as some of you that know David, they have a very special needs child. And I tell you, whenever I see little Carson, here he is. He's six years of age, and he's in a little baby carriage. And I reach out, Carson, how are you? And he just kind of makes a face, and he squeezes. And and one one time, I remember he grabbed my hand and just licked my hand. It doesn't think like other children, but let me tell you what's going to bring joy to Joy's heart is one day that boy's going to talk to her in heaven and God's going to be real. Won't it be wonderful there? This is one reason we like to be a witness because there is a heaven, friend, and every tear should be wiped away. The former things are gone and over. I remember being partaking of two people that were deaf and mute who got saved. We were awkward, my friend Joe and I, and he got saved first and then his wife got saved. And the way that we were witnessing, we were writing everything down on paper. And it took a while to get the gospel out on paper, writing it down verse by verse and line by line. We didn't have to write the verses down. We could show them the verse, we'd have to write the explanation out. And after the man got saved and his wife got saved, he wrote a question to us. Will we be able to hear in heaven and speak in heaven? And we showed him that verse, for the former things are passed away. All things have become new. He and his wife looked at each other with tears coming down their cheeks. They embraced each other. And the thought occurred to me, what they're looking forward to, they'll be hearing for the first time the words, I love you. Isn't that amazing? Now, I know what some of you think. Well, when well, we're, we're we're not we're like the angels, not married or given in marriage. Well, now that's true. That's what the Bible says, but it doesn't give us much more detail than that, right? I'll give you something to think about. This is a rabbit in the rabbit. If I love Barbara, my wife, here on earth, will I love her less in heaven? Just let that sink in. If I love my wife on earth, will I love her less in heaven? I believe, my friends, the fellowship in heaven is going to be sweeter, and the relationship you have with loved ones that know Jesus is going to be better than everything we can ever imagine. We often think of heaven as a merely glorified earth, but it's more than glorified earth. It's heaven. It's heaven. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. You're talking about a wonderful thing. We get so excited when we get healed down here. And I am. I've seen God heal people of of stage four terminal cancer. And I've, I've known a team of doctors in MD Anderson in Houston that said there's no explanation for it. But if you think about this for a moment, every person that Jesus healed, every person he brought back to life had to go through it all over again. Because we're not made to live in this environment like this for eternity. We are made for heaven, those of you that are saved. Amen. Amen. I'll give you something to think about. I got this from C.S. Lewis years ago and, and, I, and, I, and I read the quote, but then I explained it. And my wife said something to me that was very complimentary. She said, Johnny, I didn't quite get what Lewis said, but I got what you said. I liked your explanation better. So let me help improve C.S. Lewis a little bit here. Go ahead. You ever wondered why it seems that time, as we get older, goes by so fast? Remember the first grade? It took forever for that thing to get over. Second grade, moved a little faster. Got in the junior high, moving right on. In the high school, faster yet. College, soon as you started it, it was over. Even though it took me five years to get a four-year degree, it sure went fast. And then you're a young person. You're in your 20s, and all the, all the seniors in high school look like kids. And then you get into middle age, and the 20-year-olds look like Kids. And now at 71, you all look like kids. <laughs> but would you raise your hand if it seems like as you get older, time is going by faster? Amen. There's a reason for that. Yes. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, he's made all things beautiful in his time. Ecclesiastes 3, I think it was around verse 11. He says, he hath put the world in our heart. Do you know that? He's made all things beautiful in his time, pastor. And he says he put the world in our heart. The word for world is olam. Does that sound familiar? One of the names of God is El Olam. That's everlasting God. What he said there in Ecclesiastes 3 is that he put in our heart eternity. A fish doesn't swim up to another fish and say, it's wet. <laughs> it's wet down here. Any more than I walk up to pastor Jared and I say, Jared. Jared. Do you feel it, baby? It's air. <laughs> we don't even think about this because this is the environment that we live in. Yes. Wetness would only surprise a fish unless he meant is meant for somewhere else. That's right. The reason that time goes by faster and faster is because you are meant for eternity. He has set eternity in your heart, and that's why it seems like things are going by faster and faster. The Thanksgiving holiday and the Christmas holiday gets closer and closer, and the birthdays get closer and closer, and before you know it, we're calling. But if you're saved, you don't have anything to worry about. As my dad used to say, "Cheer up. We'll soon be dead. But if you don't know Jesus, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And the rich man died. Then it said immediately, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, and saith unto him, Father Abraham! Have mercy upon me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. That is not even a parable. He's using proper names. Lazarus. Lazarus. This is not made up. This is not, and the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man. No, no, Lazarus and the rich man. This is not metaphor. Neither is it hyperbole. It is not a mere analogy. He says, Jesus himself the loving Savior says, and in hell, not a place likened to, no, in hell. He lifted up his eyes, being a torment, send Lazarus that he may tip the finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in, in this flame. Mark 9, where the worm dieth not, neither is the fire quenched. Revelation 20, 14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Hell is real. I've had people say, Well, don't you think that that's merely illustration? I said, Well, Let me play the devil's advocate. If it's an illustration, what's the real thing like? If that's an illustration, if that's illustrating, what's the real thing like? You know, there's more preachers ever now not preaching fire and hell. Yes, you're right. Why? Two reasons. Number one, they're scared, they're just chicken liver. They don't want to make people unhappy because I'm going to tell you something this is not exactly shouting grounds. I mean, you don't preach on this and say, people, if you die without Jesus, you're going to hell. Glory to God. No, that'll break your heart, and it should bring tears on our eyes. Yeah, right say, they say that uh, whenever uh, D.L. Moody preached on hell, he had a tear in his eye and a lump in his throat. Billy Sunday couldn't, th- somebody came to Billy Sunday and said, Billy Sunday, why do you keep going from town to town to town, preaching the way you do? He was a, mother, a story of a hotel, and he said to the reporter, come with me, come with me, and he pointed the people down there that looked so small down there on the ground, and he began to weep, and he said, because they're going to hell, they're going to hell, they're going to hell. Yes. Well, the worm have not, neither is the fire quenched. Seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom saith him, Father Abraham, have mercy, may send Lazarus, then he dipped swing and rod and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. You know, it's interesting. When you look at Luke 16, it talks about torments, plural. It puts an S on the end of torments. That means there's more than one thing there. For instance, did you know that hell is a very dark place? It's referred to as outer darkness. I remember hearing some guys say, well, if I go to hell, I'll be there with my friends and we'll party down. No. You're not going to have any concerts. Speaking of what hell sounds like, what's hell look like? Dark. What's hell sound like? There are three words, only three words given, that give us the sounds of hell. Here they are. Weeping. Weeping wailing gnashing of teeth that's it doesn't sound like a rock concert to me doesn't sound like some beautiful rock mining off special or lovely special like we heard tonight No, weeping wailing gnashing of teeth what's hell feel like? fire what's hell look like? dark What's hell sound like? Madness. I've heard the sound of weeping. When people are given incredibly bad news in the hospital or at the scene of a loved one that's died, I've heard wailing. I remember I often wonder, what does the sound of gnashing teeth sound like? I didn't guess anymore after 16 years of age because my dad and I came upon the most horrible car wreck I've ever seen and we saw a man I could not believe he was still alive but I'll never forget as long as I live my daddy knelt beside of him trying to give him the gospel but the man was totally irrational I couldn't believe he was conscious let alone still alive but he was clenching his teeth and screaming through clenched teeth and I remember the policeman came and they said we've got to get the ambulance in here and you've got to go and we went back a hundred yards away and we could hear the man screaming somebody help me I don't want to die. And you could hear his teeth grinding as he screamed through clenched teeth. 300 yards away in the car, rolled up windows, you could hear the man screaming through clenched teeth. Somebody help me, please. I don't want to die. And so I never wondered what Christ meant when he talked about a place where there's gnashing of teeth. Thou dost not speak to warn the wicked man from his wicked way. That wicked man shall perish, but his blood will I require at thine hand. I don't want to be responsible for someone to go to a place where there's fire, where there's darkness, where there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. One of the four psychological cries I want to live I want someone to love me. But This is the one I want to bring to your attention. One of the psychological cries they say is, everybody wants to feel important. Now, when I say that, that's not the same as wanting to be popular, but it means that you want to be important to somebody at least. There's not one of us like that. Even, even those of you that feel like you're a recluse and you live in the backwoods and you just don't like people very much, you want to feel important to your collie, to your cat. You want to feel important to somebody. You know, I, I didn't think about this to just a couple years ago, Brother Pastor, that, that it really occurred to me that the rich man is in hell and the Bible doesn't give us his name. Do you think there's a message there? I do. It gives us Lazarus' name. Lazarus was the poor guy outside of his gate. We know who he is because he's somebody forever. And for 2,000 years, we've all been talking about Lazarus. Who's the rich man? We don't know. You know how hell categorizes him? Oh, that's the rich guy over there. He doesn't even know a name that's going to be mentioned in hell. Oh, what people will do to get everyone to remember them. The Carnegies will name buildings after themselves. They will build and they will try to please remember me. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that even the best of these businessmen are going to be forgotten in the city where they once lived. Their loved ones will visit them. But, you know, if you don't have Jesus, you can't love properly. So sometimes you're deceased if you don't know Jesus and you love properly. Because, as my opinion, you can't love without Jesus for God is love. And if you don't have Jesus, your love was put on. So you'll have wife visit you and kids visit you and they'll visit you once a week and then it's one, twice a month and then it's every six months and then it's once a year and then, then it's every other year. And then after a while you go to that grave and you see growth all around it and you're forgotten in earth and you're forgotten in eternity. Who is he? Oh, that's the rich guy over there. Who is she? Oh, that's the girl that lived on Main Street. Who is he? Oh, that's that guy At one time had red hair. Who is he? Oh, it's this so-and-so over here. No name. A nobody. Nobody. That's what happens when people go to hell. They're forgotten for all eternity. Wow. The rich man. You remember what was told him? Send Lazarus to my brothers. Remember that? Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf. Everybody say the next word. Fixed. Say it again. Fixed. So that they which went past from hence to you cannot, neither can they come to us. It's fixed. It's fixed. Oh, Oh, surely God will have mercy and surely I'll be able to get out. Surely it won't last that long, will it? The book of the Revelation says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Brother Pope, I'm going to tell you something. Right now, even now, Brother Pope, you're making me very nervous, and I don't like what I'm hearing. Can I tell you something? I don't like saying it. Are you listening? If I were your medical doctor, and you came to me, and I saw in your body through the MRI, through the CAT scan, and now through testing and biopsy, that there is a terminal cancer in your body, do you understand, Brother James, I would be a quack I would not be worth my grain of salt as a physician if I looked at you and said, James, don't worry. Eat three square meals a day. Get seven to eight hours of sleep at night. Get some good exercise in. You should live a long life. James, God bless you. Have a good day. Yeah, quack. I'd be a quack if I didn't shoot straight with him. James, i got to tell you something. It's cancer. I mean, it's not a reasonable. there's no shadow of doubt. It's cancer. It looks like it could be contained. I don't know how long it's going to be contained. That's the bad news. The good news is, this is true, uh, doctor, uh, uh, one of the doctors a doctor, uh, in, in Houston has done 60,000 successful open-heart surgeries. Can you imagine? So I say to James, James, I've done 60,000 surgeries just like yours. I mean, th- there are physicians that have actually done that many surgeries. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Uh, my wife and I were in uh, one of the places there in the medical center, and I saw one of those doctors. They have they have sort of like a spoke in a wagon wheel. They clean up his hands here. He goes down one spoke. He does this, comes back another. He washes his hands And I mean, he's doing about eight within an hour, sur- major surgeries. So I said, James, I've done 60,000 of them. Out of the 60,000 people, there's only been about 700 that didn't make it. But out of the 60,000, all of them made it. The chances of you surviving are not only good, but they're great. But James, if you're going to live a long, healthy life, and I believe you can, I've got to cut you open. I've got to field dress you. I mean wide open. And I'm going to take you out. Yeah, I'm going to do it. James, has been good talking to you. You enjoyed it. I'll see you on Tuesday morning and we'll put you to sleep and do all of this. Now, you don't want to hear that, but if you want to live, you need to listen. So, even though this is incredibly unpleasant, if there are any of you here that are not saved, if it's scaring you, wonderful. Because I'm not making one bit of this up. Did I make any of this up? Did I just read into the scripture? Am I trying to scare you? Yes. Yes, I want you to be afraid. (laughs) I had a young man write me a letter once said, I heard you preach on hell when when I was a kid and you scared me to death. I said, that was the goal. And those of you that are saved and you don't like hearing this, you need to be reminded that the person that you have thought about witnessing to and that you haven't witnessed to and the Lord has given you the softball, he's thrown that opportunity right out there and you didn't take it. The Bible says that that man will die and go to hell. And God says, I'm holding you responsible because you didn't say anything to him about it. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by saying something. What if they reject it? So what if they do? At least you gave them the opportunity. Yeah. Have a track. Give a witness. If they want to talk, ask them, the, here's the track. If they don't want the track, find somebody else. But listen to me. You never know. I think about a Jehovah Witness that I witnessed too. And he totally rejected, I believe, everything I was saying to him. Ten years later, I saw him. He said, by the way, you might have thought you struck out that day, but I couldn't get the word of God off my mind. And I got saved. He's a preacher now of a Bible-believing church. Jehovah Witness. Jehovah Witness. God's word it will not return unto you void. You listen. You don't know what God's going to do. Listen to me. What did Oswald J. Smith said? God didn't send us to Christianize. He called us to evangelize. Only God can save the person. All we can do is put the word out there. Amen, amen, amen. Put the word out there. Isn't that amazing what the word can do? What the morgue didn't do, the word of God did for you. How about that? That's a great thought, isn't it? Listen to me, people. There is a heaven and there is a hell. I want you to let that sink down deep inside of you. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked man from his wicked way. Then I want to close on this, but don't get excited. It takes me a while to close. <laughs> Look at Luke, now, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 for just a moment. I was um, talking to a little shut-in lady in our church and I love our shut-in people because brothers and sisters, they can do something on a perpetual basis that some of us have a little hard time doing. All right, let me get you over there with me if you could to Luke chapter 9. All right. I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I am I'm got ahead of myself. Matthew chapter 9, all right? Matthew chapter 9. Actually, I was looking at both of these passages, Scripture, and I was going to... Go either to Luke or Matthew, but look at Matthew 9 for just a moment. In Matthew 9, in verse number 36, it says, But when he saw the multitudes... Okay, I'm, I'm hearing everybody turn. That's such a good sound, isn't it? You know what? I am thankful for the tablets where you can look it up on your tablet. But I still like to hear the pages rustling. I still like to market, don't you? Yeah, yeah keep, keep, your, keep your Bibles, you know, the old kind with, you know, paper. It's, it's good. You can see it, okay? Luke 9, it's just preference. It's just preference, okay? So don't get your feelings hurt, okay? Luke 9, 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved. With compassion on them. Huh. Yes. Hey, Pastor shoemate isn't that good? Right. I'm not like that. As well as I should. I mean, every now and then it hits me. But Jesus is looking out there, and I believe he's got tears in his eyes. We know he had tears in his eyes when he was at the tomb of Lazarus. Uh, we, we know that... Uh, and, and I've seen the spot in Israel there coming down the Mount of Olives where they have this little chapel in the shape of a tear. And they said, this is where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often as I would have gathered thee as a hen gathered a brood under a wing. And you would not. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad. As sheep having no shepherd, all we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53 says, we've turned everyone to our own way. I like this part. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, and he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Dear people, since we will stand before the Lord and give account one day, let us witness. Why? Because there's an eternity. There's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to lose. And so to add to our witness, what we need to do is pray the price. Couple our witness with prayer. Too many times we do this. We separate prayer and meditation over here and we put soul winning and missions over here no 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 we we need to be involved in both one plays off the other you witness the people get a burden you pray for them you pray for them you witness to them you see what I mean one plays off the other Uh, The invalids that I think about, one little lady, Sister Skinner, uh, she could not get off her bed for several years as an older, older lady. And she said to me once, Brother Pastor, I just don't know why God has left me here. I just feel like I'm of no use. I'm ready to go to heaven. I don't know why He's taking me to heaven. Three weeks later, I saw her and she said, with a big old smile, she said, you know, God revealed to me. And rebuke me why I'm here. I'm praying for my children and my grandchildren and my great grandchildren. God has left me here to pray for them. Amen. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest. Look at, speaking of Ezekiel, look at Ezekiel 22 for just one moment. Look at Ezekiel 22. I want you to see this, please. Ezekiel 22. And may the Holy Spirit just level in on us here. Ezekiel 22. Look at what it says here in verse number 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. Now this is interesting. And stand in the gap. Now I have seen this text taken and you have too. When we're in mission conference, we need people to stand in that gap and make up the hedge in missions. Let's surrender the missions. And I think that's applicable. I've been in Bible conferences where we're saying, and I remember some little lady said to me, isn't it a shame that God isn't calling more young men to preach? I said, ma'am, he's still calling them. They're just not surrendering. And I think that's applicable. I've been in Christian education uh, conferences. As a matter of fact, Brother Troy uh, asked me to come uh, consider doing an educational conference. And, and I love that. And I want to encourage people that we need more Christian school teachers and Christian professors. And we need more Christian homeschooling moms and dads that will just teach their kids and nurture them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I think that's applicable. In Christian education, we need somebody to stand in the gap to make up the hedge. But contextually, you know what I was talking about? Look at this very carefully. God said, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. That's referring to a gap in the fence. The hedge has been broken, and Daddy is going to get a boy to guard that spot until he and the brothers can go and get some supplies and repair the breach. But until they repair the breach... Somebody's got to get in that gap lest the sheep escape and die from the poisonous weeds or from the predators or lest the predators get into the gap. So that's important to get in that gap. I'm looking for somebody that will make up the hedge and stand in the gap. Well, you know what God is looking for? Some Gaptist. Oh, that Baptist might be Gaptist. Amen. Amen. And here's the gap. Stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Isn't that amazing? God said, I'm looking for somebody that'll pray the price who will get before me because I'm about to take out the people. I'm going to raise the ground. I'm going to kill them unless you talk me out of it. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is one of those conundrums. If God doesn't want to kill him, well then God, don't kill him. But God says, no, I don't want to kill him and I'm not going to do it if you pray that I want. That's not even the precedent. The precedent goes back to the book of Genesis. Remember Abraham? God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, would you not destroy for 50? He says, not for 50. He got all the way down to 10. And God says, okay, I won't destroy for 10. So we see him negotiating in prayer. It's Bible. Amen. Billy Sunday said, it's not what I don't understand in the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do understand and don't do anything about. I might not understand why God would include my prayer as a decisive part of His sovereign choice about what He does with lost people. But what I do understand is that He said, if somebody will come before me and pray. I will deliver the people. I will save them if you will pray for them. Brother Pope, I'm just one person. Can my one prayer make a difference? Would you like to see a case study on that real briefly? Look at Exodus 32 for a moment. Look at Exodus 32. I want you to see something here, Exodus 32, right here in the Bible, Exodus 32, and if you don't mind, go ahead and turn to Psalm 106, and maybe put the church bullet in in Psalm 106, because we're going to come back to Psalm 106 real fast after we show you something in Exodus here, Psalm 106, okay, I want you to see something here, so maybe put the church bullet in Psalm 106, and let's look at... Exodus 33 for just a moment. I want you to see this. God has declared to Moses, I'm going to take out Israel. You'll be my new Noah. You'll be my new Abraham. I'm going to start all over with you. We're starting all over. We'll take them out. But now we see that Moses has developed the heart of God. By the way, You want to know what the heart of God is? You can find it in Matthew 9, in Matthew 12. Jesus says to the Pharisees that are rebuking him, he says, learn this of me. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting from Isaiah 6. Hosea was bent out of shape through God at people that were doing the religious thing, but their hearts were far, far away, as Isaiah talked about. He says, don't bring your sacrifices to me. You're mad because my disciples are having some corn You're mad because I'm sitting with Matthew and these poor sinners that need to be saved and you are so mad because I'm doing this. You better learn this of me. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Don't you come to me with your sacrifices. You need to be merciful. And then it moved on in Matthew 12 to the point where he quotes from Isaiah. He says, a bruised reed shall he not break, nor the smoking flax will he not quench. He will take the person that believes they've sinned away their opportunity to be saved and says, no, you haven't. Even though that bruised reed is bent over, I can make something beautiful out of it. Even though that smoking flax, those of you that sir, sir, used to serve Jesus, you're smoking up the room. I can trim the wick, put the oil back where it needs to be and light you again. I can do that. Oh, Richard Sibbs in 1630 was so moved with that that he wrote an entire book entitled The Bruised Reed and the whole book is worth the price of this one statement. Are you ready for this? There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Amen. There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Amen. In 1535, Miles Coverdale, before the King James Bible, before, before the King James got here, he came to that word chesed. By the way, that's the word Hosea used in chapter 6 of Hosea. That's what Jesus was quoting when he said, learn this of me, I will have mercy. Jesus was referring to the Old Testament word chesed. That's translated 247 times in the Old Testament. Goodness, mercy, love, a a number, a a myriad of definitions. Miles Coverdale was so frustrated, he didn't know how to translate his said, so he invented a word in English that until 1535 had never existed. You want to know what the word is? It's loving kindness. Isn't that good? Until 1535, the word loving kindness had never existed. You know what he did? He stumbled upon the very heart of Jesus when he translated it. Remember, that's what David said. Loving kindness. This is what I've got to have. For me to have done what I've done, the only way I can survive now is if you're having that loving kindness wash over me. So anyway, Moses now has gotten the chesed, the heart of God. He's got the loving kindness now working in him. God has told him, I'm going to take out the people. At this time, my conviction is that Israel is numbered four million. God has said, I'm going to kill four million people. And here's what the Bible says that Moses did. This is so beautiful. Verse number 31, Exodus 32. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. Do you see what happened there? There's a dash. If thou wilt forgive their sin. And if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book, which thou hast written. There's a dash there, pastor. Moses is so caught up. He's either weeping so hard. He's run out of words. Thou wilt forgive their sin. And if not. Oh, oh. God says, Gabriel, just put a line right there. What's that mean, God? Trust me. I know what it means. Ian Bound said, better to have prayer without words than words without prayer. I heard that. He saw Moses' tears. He heard the prayer. God, um, take me to hell, but don't take him out. And by the way, that's what Paul said in Romans 9, Romans 10, just let me go to hell, but save Israel. Boy, that's a compassion for souls, isn't it? Now, that's not going to happen because when we come to Jesus, all that the Father, the gift of me shall come to me. Him that come to me, I will no wise cast out. John 6, 37. So that's not going to happen. But God was moved by that. So we see one man who got into a gap, who got into the breach. The people are about to be destroyed and he praised the price. You want to see how powerful one dash of real, heartfelt, tear-filled praying can do? Look at this. Psalm 106, verse 23. Therefore, Psalm 106, 23, look at this. Therefore, he said, that's God, that he would destroy them. That's Israel. Let me start all over. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach. That's the gap. That's the broken hedge. To turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, teenagers, young married, middle aged, everybody here, would you listen to me? The word of God just told us. God did not destroy four million people because one man prayed the price. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked man from his wicked way, that wicked man shall perish, but his blood will I require at thine hand. I'll tell you what will make the difference if we know that there's an eternity and that in response of knowing that there's eternity, we become witnesses for him. And while we're witnessing, we're praying. And while we're praying, we're witnessing. And while we're witnessing, we're praying. And while we're praying, We're witnessing. It is time to pull out all the stops. It's time to go whole hog or die. It's time to throw that pass that you think nobody will intercept. It's time to stand up to the plate, whether it's a fastball or a a sinker or or a curve. You're ready to go. But it's time to put on that whole armor of God and quit messing around. If God's called you to missions, Amen. Don't wait another day. If God's called you to be simply faithful to your church and be a witness in your community, don't wait another day. I'm going to close with this. I told you I just love the close. Yeah. A missionary is on the foreign field in Africa. 20 years It was one of those times he could not get money. There was never enough money to get back to the States. And he was fine with that because he had a great relation with his pastor. And they kept in correspondence. And thank God for the churches that kept holding the ropes and keeping the offerings coming. But after 20 years, the pastor said, I know that you can't get to me, but I'm ready to come visit you. He said, Pastor, I'd be the happiest missionary in Africa if you'd come and visit me. So the pastor went and visited him. And on the first night the pastor arrived, the missionary was so excited. He said, Pastor, it's been 20 years since I've seen you. I love you so much. Thank you for coming. Do me a favor. Will you come with me to my prayer spot tomorrow morning? Boy, that would thrill me right there, just having a missionary excited about prayer. He said, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. He said, it'll be right at daybreak. That's not too early. No, 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 no. Jesus got up a great while before day. Let's do it. And the missionary took him to a plateau, kind of one of those areas there in the geography in Africa where it kind of comes up to a slope and then it levels off. And at that level off point, he could see the entire village. And so he said, before I start praying, Pastor, before we start praying, um, I, I want you to see something here. Tell me what do you see? And the pastor's looking and said, well, I see some wisps of smoke coming up out of those humble houses and it looks like people are getting ready for breakfast. He said, okay, what else do you see? And the pastor began to num- name a number of things that he would see, maybe some animals outside of a fence and this, that, and the other. And he kept, pastor, keep looking. What do you see? He said, oh, wait a minute. I see something here. This is interesting. In just about every house, I see, I see paths. Some going out to the jungle, some going out to the prairie. He said, that's what I want you to see. He said, what's that, what's that all about? He said, well, pastor, those paths. You see, when I came here 20 years ago, not one of these people, we heard it mentioned tonight, not one of these people had ever heard the name of Jesus. Not one of them. When they got saved, I didn't have to twist any arms or give full-length lectures on how to pray. But the men of the household's begin to pray. And when I would come up here to pray, I begin to notice something. In every household of a saved man, there's a path to the jungle or to the prairie. He said, that's their path of prayer, pastor. That's their path of prayer. I never have to wonder, preacher, if my men are backslidden. All I have to do it's when I get up here, just see if there's any grass on their path. Is there grass on your path of prayer? Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Souls are dying. People are going to hell every day. Have you prayed about it? People are going to hell every day. Have you said anything about it to your friends, to your neighbors, to your loved ones? that there's a way out of hell and a way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other name. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, no other name. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the only way, and you know this, and you know this. What are you doing about it?